0: A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For
1: Ghosts, with myself, Greg Eats, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we do have a terrific podcast for you today. We're going to be joined by Jason Radowitz in the second segment. He does terrific work. Over there at the game day, he also does terrific work when it comes to covers, bookmaker review list goes on and on. You're able to catch this guy in a wide variety of places and we're going to be chatting with him, but if he's noticing anything on this Friday card that stands out to him, we're also going to be talking about some of these struggles that we've seen with home underdogs. He is someone that has a little bit of a lower volume capper as well, so I think it's good to be able to get his perspective on because obviously I am the opposite, so I'm going to be I'm going to be asking him what has been working out so well for him this college basketball season. So we're going to have a great chat there. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday. As we had some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one or two ways we offer further those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at yours forty one. Keep in mind, letters him. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways via find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and then from there, you're able to fire and whatever you like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not wind up getting in any questions today, but we wound up having a very fascinating day of college basketball on Thursday. Let's take a look back at tried finds with Some Trends Try to get to know these Seems a little bit better.
0: Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap.
1: Now I'm having to record this a little bit ahead of time. So the games out there in the Pac-12, I will be unable to recap, obviously, those were a lot of the ranked teams that were in action because I am doing the look at on Vison That is from one to four a.m. Eastern Time. I've been doing it all week long, and then you've got the Greg Peterson experience, which is pretty much the weekend version of that. But what we do have is a situation which George Johns likely going to be going winless in conference. They had a chance to be able to pull it out against the Paul. They made like your buddy at the bar and could not close sixty-eight to sixty-five. DePaul gets a win and cover. DePaul just eighteen to twenty-eight at the free throw line. But Georgetown, well, they turned the ball over seventeen times in this one. And you wound up having for DePaul, Mister Brandon Johnson, step up for ten rebounds. Javon Freeman, Liberty, twenty-five points. Certainly a far from great DePaul team, but you know, looking at a historically bad Georgetown team, I would be very surprised if there's not a coaching move made in the offseason. You also did wind up seeing some good mid majors wind up taking the floor on Thursday as you wind up seeing both of these teams get north of 100 points. South Dakota State gets a winning cover on the road against Oral Roberts by a count of 106-102. This is one of the strangest things that you're going to see. You wind up having Luke Appel, who was averaging 8.5 points per game, and I'm not even kidding here. He had scored five points or fewer in three of the last four games. Came off the bench for 41 points and 10 rebounds before falling up for South Dakota State to lift them to victory. That is just absolutely insane for South Dakota State. They wound up having three different guys: Appel, Baylor, Shireman, and Douglas Wilson, get 26 plus points apiece, and then the rest of the team had to combine dead. <laughs> That's just terrific right there. And then for Orr Roberts, Max Acemis, 34 points on 23 shots. They wound up having a guy of their own, and Carlos Juergens, coming off the bench for 25 points. Whichever of these teams might have make making the NCAA tournament, if either do, they are going to be exciting to say the least. So that was some good, clean family fun right there. This is not good, clean family fun if you wind up taking Belmont. They got destroyed against Murray State by a count of 76-43. Murray State... A terrific defensive team and a terrific team in general, but for Belmont, 5-26 from 3 par and They lose the rebound battle, 40-22. to 22. They just got bludgeoned in every aspect of the game. As a matter of fact, Tevin Brown and K.J. Williams, they combined for 45 points. That's more than what Belmont wound up having all night long. Murray State currently looking very dominant out there in the Ohio Valley Conference. Something else that's looking very dominant, fading IUPUI. UW-Milwaukee gets the job done against IUPUI, good old Ewee Peewee, by kind of 86 of 54. You do on and note with UW-Milwaukee. No Pat, what Baldwin Jr. in this game got assume that he's going to be out until further notice. Someone that was in and someone that was able to produce that would be Mr. Jordan Walker of UAB as the Blazers get a win but no cover against UTSA by a count of sixty eight to fifty six. You wind up having UTSA be able to cover the fifteen because they were down fifteen with about twenty seconds left and then UAB followed a three point shooter. But for Mister Walker, fourteen points in this one. UAB a dominant offensive team, a dominant defensive team, and for UTSA they've been able to cover a few more games recently. So good on them for that. You did wind up seeing Indiana get a win and cover against Maryland by a count of seventy four to sixty four and. This was one of the best offensive performances that you saw for Indiana. They played very slow, very controlled, took just 47 field goal attempts in this game, but they hit 28 of them with having Ray Thompson go for 19 points, 9 boards for Maryland. They were able to hold in there for a little bit, but the 16 turnovers, that wound up catching up with them. Maryland also lost the rebound battle by kind count of 27-25, to 25, so they wound up having their deficiencies there. Speaking of deficiencies, this offense was very deficient on Thursday. William and Mary. Well, if you wind up taking it in that you've got William and Mary, they had fourteen points apiece. They lose to Northeastern sixty two to twenty eight. William & Mary went 1-17 of 17 from 3, 11-51 from 4, and it's a William & Mary team that has an above-500 record against the spread in conference. Out of conference, they were bad, but in conference, they've been halfway decent. Northeastern, they've been really bad this year, and they didn't put on an offensive climate, going 9-33 of 33 from 3-point range, but Won the rebound battle by kind of thirty-eight to thirty-three. William and Mary fifteen turnovers in this one, and Connor is three of nine shooting from the floor was the best mark for this team. So. That was absolutely sad. You also wound up seeing something very wonky. Fairly Dickinson, who wound up entering in the day three and twenty straight up against Wagner, who at one point was having the nation's longest win streak among D one teams. Wagner, a thirteen and a half point favorites, they lose in overtime, eighty eight to eighty six, and this was a game in which Wagner it looked like they were going to have a chance to cover because they were up forty to thirty one going into the half. They were looking good there, and then. From there, Fairley Dickinson wound up having the Brandon Rush show take over. Brandon Rush was able to have 36 points, 12 of 22 from the floor. For Fairley Dickinson, they go to the free throw line for 25 free throws. They hit 22 of them. And for Wagner, 11 of 19 at the charity stripe. They are dealing with an injury to Elijah Ford, who has been one of the better players for the team. Alex Morales, 25 points, 9 rebounds. He did his part, of Will Martinez was able to chip in their 21. But certainly not what you were expecting out there. What you were expecting to see on this college basketball Thursday was Gonzaga be able to take it to San Francisco, and that did wind up happening. Also, as I'm recording this, Ohio State is right now having the EJ Liddell show going on. EJ Liddell absolutely putting on a clinic against Illinois as Ohio State winds up getting the job done in that one. By the way, Malachi Branham, how about how good this guy has been? going into what we wanted up seeing on Thursday on the road this season. I'd been shooting 50% from three with 15 points per game. He expanded upon that. So, I mean, this guy is really, really good. What else has been actually really good recently has been Memphis against the spread. They take down Temple by a count of 76-64 to 64. for Memphis. They wound up having an on cover against SMU about a week or so ago, but take a look at it. They've covered all but one of their games ever since the beginning of the month of February. you are able to date this back Back to January as well. I believe that they have now been able to cover five out of their last six games. Jalen Duran had 22 points in this one. And DeAndre Williams, he's been firing all cylinders since coming back as well. 19 points, nine boards. So Memphis Looks to be a little bit of an improved bunch. You got a Brian team that's playing at a very brisk tempo right now, and they want to take it down St. Francis Brooklyn by a count of eighty-six and sixty nine. Peter Kiss is right now in contention for most points per game of any player in all of college basketball. Entered into Thursday with twenty-four point eight points per game. He put up a thirty-five spot in this one, also chipped in their seven rebounds. So it's gonna be interesting to see what winds up happening with that race. And it's gonna be really interesting to see what winds up happening with home underdogs. We're gonna talk about it on the other side with Jason Radowitz, but they've fallen on some tough times. Over the last 30 days, I'm recording this with a couple West Coast games still pending. 269, 282, and 12 against the spread. That's 48.8% in this time span as well. Over the last 30 days, 808 overs a 751 under. So the over is sitting at nearly a 52% clip. Road teams, they're covering 53.5% of games over the last 30 days. And if you shrink it down to the last seven days, Home underdogs, they're making a little bit of a comeback at 56-61 and 4 against the spread, but still certainly tough in overs. 196 overs, 155 under. so that's a 55.8% hit rate to the over, and road teams in this time span hitting 54.5%. 186, 156, and 12 against the spread. So that's what we're noticing in college basketball right now. And what you notice on this podcast is that we always get relatively solid guests. And Jason Rideways, he is more than relatively solid. He is absolutely terrific. Does great work over there with the game day. He also does terrific work when it comes to covers. The list goes on and on. Coming up next, we're going to ask him about these struggles that we've seen with home underdogs. We're also going to be asking him if he notices anything for Friday's card and being a lower volume, better. What's all been working for him recently? That's up next, radio right on Coast Coastooth with myself, David Hughes, and now part of the Decent Family Podcast.
0: At Bet Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet Three Six Five. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon.
1: And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Gus Gus with myself, Greg Yupes here. And now part of the V S Family Podcast. It's great to be joined by this guest as he does an absolutely terrific job over there with the game day. Also Odds Checker US covers and bookmakers review. Man does a little bit of everything as we are being joined by Jason Radwoods. He is out there in the northeast part of the country, more specifically, the great state of New Jersey. And be able to follow Jason on Twitter. You're able to do so at Jason underscore Radowitz. Last name spelled R A D O W I T Z. And Jason, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. College basketball
3: is almost getting to the conference tournaments. And of course, March Madness would follow the action, the excitement. It's all starting you know, now, especially for those average
1: followers. They'll all get really excited for college basketball. So it's a great time now. It is an absolutely amazing time. And Jason, I've been noticing that you've been doing a great job with your picks recently. So a congratulations to you on that. And what's really been working with you recently? You've been hitting right around 60% over the last few weeks or so. And I know that you're a little bit of the opposite of myself. You're very much a selective better. You're not a guy that you're going to go out there and have like 15 plays of like the Friday card or anything like that. But what have you really been utilizing to help you be able to get to the window and continue to have a good return on investment?
3: Yeah, so b- before Thursday's game, we don't know how that turned out. But overall so far, them 49-31 and 31 on the season. 49 wins, 31 losses, 61.3% win percentage. And like you said, the ROI is at 12.5%. But I'm one of those guys who just hate betting on big spreads because, you know, let's say you want to bet Gonzaga, for example, and they're going up against, let's say, San Francisco, and I uh, have a 10-point spread. And somehow San Francisco hits the shot, you know, when the game's already over and then somehow they win by nine and Gonzaga wins by nine. And then you end up losing your bet when you're pretty much on point. So for me, what I've throughout the entire season is I've kind of been betting more on, you know, really, really small spreads when it comes to underdogs. And then of course, if you're a favorite, I like to bet the money line. None of that kind of crap at the end would really affect me. I'm just kind of picking the team to win or, the team to cover a spread when they're getting money. So for the most part, throughout the entire season, I'm betting on short money lines outside, you know, before minus 150, or I'm betting on underdogs getting, you know, five to six points or fewer, where I think I value it and potentially win the game outright. But I'm just kind of, you know, ensuring having some security and betting on the underdog. And so far that's worked for me throughout the entire season. I'm just that guy that just does not like to sweat through games with massive spreads. And so I'm not going to make my uh, followers to do that as well. <laughs>
1: it certainly can be very interesting when you wind up taking like 20 plus points with San Jose state. And then it's sort of very interesting when you wind up celebrating. It's like, Oh boy, San Jose state only lost by 19 points. Never a doubt in our lives. <laughs> as we do have Jason right. It's trying to be on the podcast. That is really intriguing. And Jason, have there been maybe a conference or two or a few teams, in general, that you've been really having a lot of success with? Because I know that you're a man that's out there in the northeast part of the country. And I always love talking with you because you're a man that you appreciate low to mid-major college basketball because you actually used to be a graduate assistant over there at Hartford. But have there been any conferences or specific teams that have really been treating you well slash not so well?
3: You know, I guess I'm not going to make you happy with this answer. But, you know, I thought the, the Mountain West has been fantastic this year. And I don't know if it gets enough credit. I think we'll see, you know, multiple teams obviously out of that conference going to the NCAA tournament this year. But that's really the conference that has been a lot of fun to watch. And throughout the entire season, I've been a big fan of Wyoming. Out of all my, you know, bets, I think I've had three bets on Wyoming. Of course, went three and zero on all three of those bets. So. I guess you could say Wyoming's kind of my favorite team. I guess out of Mountain West and just for betting purposes, they're stacked with authentic talent. Of course, Maldonado is the big guy there and plenty of shooters around there as well, especially with also, have yeah, inside, you know, ground PK. So a lot of talent there. Wyoming, obviously not a huge bench there, but lots of talent. And I think, you know, Wyoming could obviously win the Mountain West Would be surprising. Would be fun. Would love to see them make the NCAA tournament.
1: I've been right there with you and backing Wyoming. It's been a team that has been treating me very, very well. A team that is very efficient. Not necessarily up-tempo, but they're just a bunch of guys that they do their job. They don't turn the ball over. So it has been an Absolutely terrific to be able to take a look at what they've been able to do this year. And I'm right there with you. The Mountain West has been able to play a very high brand of basketball. And I would say some of the basketball out there in the Mountain West has been better than in some of these power conferences. Now, I'm not going to put it on par with like the top of the SEC or anything like that. But at the same time, I take a look at the play out there in the Mountain West. And I feel like there's more consistency in betting on some of these top teams like a San Diego State, like you mentioned with Wyoming, rather than rolling the dice on, say, NC State. Pittsburgh, teams have been really poopy out there in the ACC, and it's been really tough to be able to back some of those teams, and for a lesser extent, some of those really bad teams out there in the Big East as well, like Georgetown.
3: Yeah, and, and to bring up Big East, right, that's been a conference, you know, this week, we've had two of the best games in college basketball, especially this season, back-to-back, so, you know, in the UConn game and the Providence game. So, the Big East outside of Georgetown, like you said, it has been really, really fun to watch, and I know The Big East definitely getting back onto the map when it comes to their brand of basketball. It's been really fun. So give that conference a lot of credit. They've really upped the level
1: of competition in recent years. And like you said, it's been really fun to watch. It certainly has been, as we do have Jason Radowitz does a terrific job over there at a wide variety of different places. The game day covers, list goes on and on. He's joining me on the podcast. And Jason, I do know that we've got a relatively small slate here for Friday, only about 15 games, as we know. The real onslaught for college basketball comes on Saturday, but... Is there a game or two for Friday that really does catch your eye? Like I said, not necessarily a lot of games. I don't think we've got a single ranked team that's going to be in action, but sometimes it is some of these cards that sometimes yield some of the best betting opportunities as well. Yeah,
3: look, actually Iowa, they are an AP 25 out of the team. so I think they'll play Nebraska on the road, but obviously Nebraska, just like Georgetown, is not good. But if I had to find you know, one game that you know would be intriguing on the slate, I think Northwestern Penn State – is a fun matchup. I think you know, both of those teams are pretty evenly matched when it comes down to it. So that should be a fun one. You know, they're not tournament teams, but it should give us a fun game to watch Northwestern. They've had their moments this year before being Nebraska, though. They were on a three-game losing streak. But they do have wins against Indiana, a win against Rutgers, a win against Michigan State. Also, I think they beat Maryland like way, way earlier in the season. So, I mean, they're a team that's, you know, solid enough to watch, you know, enjoy the game. And, you know, Penn State, they've hung around against teams like LSU, took them to overtime and beating Michigan State as well, Iowa, in double overtime. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you're looking for a good brand of basketball, at the Big Ten, two teams that are, you know, capable of winning and playing, you know, good basketball, I think that's the best game. Now, if you're looking at the A-10, you've got St. Louis versus Richmond. Both those teams have been really good this year. You know, I don't really know how, you know, we look at the Atlantic 10 this year. It hasn't been nearly as good as I think most of us would have liked, to be honest. But looking at these two teams, St. Louis, they've been really good. 19 wins, they'll no- win number 20. And then Richmond, of course, they've been you know, pretty good recently in, in February. They've lost just two games. Obviously, the heartbreaker and George Mason was pretty rough on the road and VCU on the road. But they're home against St. Louis, so it should be an exciting matchup there, looking for an 8-10 matchup.
1: I do agree with you there. I do think that that St. Louis versus Richmond game is going to be a solid one. St. Louis has been turning the ball over a little bit too much, which has really been hurting them. And Jason, something that stood out to me with something that you mentioned a little bit earlier about taking some of these games that have been a little bit tighter with regards to the spread is that we've noticed that home underdogs have really been having a rough time of it. If you look at the last seven days going into Thursday, they had won 56, 69 and five against the spread. And if you look over the course of the season, they're sub 500 last Days, 270 279 and 13 against the spread is that something that you're taking a look at and you're thinking that it's going to reverse course or do you think that that's just a little bit of side of things this season because I think that one the toughest things with being able to handicap this year has been home court advantage because obviously we had limited to no fans last season but I've been taking this into account because I've just noticed for my personal handicap that home dogs just have not had the same fight that they've had in past seasons yeah you know what maybe
3: it, you know. Especially in conference play, most teams will play teams twice in conference. Like for example, you know, Duke beat Virginia, you know, on Wednesday and so they were on the road there and it was kinda of more of a revenge game. And so I think there might be that instance where, you know, teams that, you know, were beat at home earlier in the season got their revenge, you know, going on the road against the home teams. But overall it could be just a little bit of a coincidence or whatnot. Me personally, I don't read into that stuff as much. But I mean, it's something to look at for sure, and I know a lot of people handicap looking at those stats. But for me, I think it you know might just be this week. You know, it might just be the week uh, you know for home underdogs to just struggle a little bit. But yeah, you know, overall, it could be just a little bit of revenge.
1: Yeah, I think that it's been really interesting to take a look at that, and what I also I think is always good to take a look at is everything that you're doing, Jason. Because Jason, I know that you do a great job with college basketball. We are hoping and praying that we wind up getting a full baseball season because I know that that is really your favorite sport. I want to mine as well because I always do my baseball betting podcast every single year as well. I do the same thing pretty much in baseball as I do in college basketball. So hopefully we're able to get in all those games as well. But I know at this time of year, you're just dialed into college basketball. You put out Content at so many different platforms, so let the good people know how they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general.
3: Yeah, so like you said, of course MLB not back yet, but maybe today or Friday we'll get somewhere. I know things haven't really you know worked out so far, minimal progress every single day. But I guess if you keep adding a little bit of minimal progress, eventually there might be you know minor progress, and then you get the major progress, and somehow we got a season in time. But like you said, college basketball right, right now, that's the major thing going on. The Horizon League finishes on Saturday, and then we're off to the conference tournaments, which are just as fun, of course, as the NCAA tournament. So, you know, before I say anything, make sure to go watch these conference tournaments. If you're just getting in, into college basketball or you're a big fan of college basketball, the conference tournaments are so much fun, especially when you get to the high major games when they play every single day until they find a winner. But you can find all my work, of course, you go to my Twitter page, at Jason underscore radowitz, that's R-A-D-O-W-I-T-Z. And I post all my articles there. I write, I give out my picks on a site called Dub Club, which is a dollar per day for my picks. And you know, like I said earlier on the podcast, right, we are doing well. 49 wins, 31 losses in college basketball. So for one dollar a day, I'm definitely making you guys some profit and some return on your investment. Especially more than the stock market. The stock market has not been good recently, and my betting has been. So definitely You know, check that out if you'd like. It. Outside that, yeah, I appreciate you having me, and uh, this was uh, great.
1: Yeah, things outside of the world of sports betting certainly have been fascinating. <laughs> Fortunately, I am not someone that dives into that. Nobody wants to hear my opinion <laughs> on things outside of college basketball. so we keep it to college basketball here. Jason, I know, is doing an absolutely terrific job. I know that he is a man that handicaps a wide variety of things, and like I said, I truly do mean it. Hopefully, we wind up getting a full MLB season because Jason is an ace on that. I absolutely love baseball season myself, but we are here in the midst of college basketball, and Jason firing all cylinders there. So, big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast He's now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots.
2: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back here in Las Vegas. For Ghost and with myself, Craig Oopse, and so now a part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts, it is always a pleasure to get Jason Radowitz on the podcast doing a great job over there at bookmakers review. Oddshark, he has been able to do terrific work with Covers, Ozchecker U.S., List goes on and on. Guy does a whole lot of work and does so also well. So, a big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots.
0: Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. <laughs>
1: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at JarenSquarty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is pretty much time order, but when you wind up coming out to Las Vegas, you just wind up actually listing the rotation number when you want to bet on a game, which is why I sort of do it in this order. And you also will notice that a lot of books, a lot of apps, they will put the games in this order as well. So instead of saying, oh, I want to bet on... Harvard catching the points you did said give the rotation number of 887. So that keeps things all nice neat, clean, and easy there as we're going to be starting with that first game of 867-868 on the bang board. Akron is going to be in the road face off against Ohio. Ohio's a 7 point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 130 and 131. I did why I'm saying my total out of 129. We've got an Ohio team that ranks in the top with with regards points allowed on a per possession basis and they're going to be going up against one of the solo teams at all of college basketball in Akron. Akron's in the bottom 35 with regards possessions per game. They did have it outburst a few nights ago against Bowling Green, scoring 82 points in that one, but I think that Bowling Green would give up 80 to the Hortonville Polar Bears. That is my high school alum, but you take a look at this accurate team, and you do have two guys that do a great job down low. Ali Ali along with Enrique Freeman. Freeman is more of a true low post player. Four, 13 points, 11 rebounds, and a block and a half per contest. Meanwhile, Ali Ali, more of a stretch player. Shoots 39% from threes, able to give you 14 points per game, and... When it comes to the spot, I do mind up saying this line at seven just because I do have a little bit of fear with Akron's free throw shooting. Akron, they shoot 67% at the free throw line. Now they do shoot 35% for three. Brian Thermal Jr. Xavier Casaneda they combine for 23 points with Casaneda shooting right around 82% at the free throw line. But past that, you don't necessarily have a lot else. And then when it comes to Ohio, it's a bunch that they've been able to get quite a bit down low. Ben Vanderplas along with Jason Carter have been able to do a great job being able to combine for right in the neighborhood of about 13 and a half rebounds per game. Both of these guys. Give you between 13 and a half and 14 points per game. They combine to be able to give you three steals. Carter, 1.2 blocks per game as well with Vanderpause, a little bit of a versatile player. Now Ohio only shoots right around 34% from three-point range, but they take care of the ball 10 and a half over screen. Mark Sears has done a great job being able to run the offense with being able to give you just under 19 and a half points per game, five and a half boards, four assists per game here at the seven. If I had to, I would take the points with Akron before I would lay them with Ohio, though, just because this is a team that after your big three, you don't have to get a ton else. Ben Roderick, 7.5 points per game has been solid. You do have a 40% 3-point shooter. He's able to give you right around 7 points per game And Tommy Schmack. Schmack has been able to give you a little bit more recently as he's went off for double figures in two out of the last three games, but I do think that it is starting to get a little bit lofty here with Ohio especially because I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring game. Set my total at 129.5 and at 7 or more, going to be willing to take the points here with Akron. 869, 870 on the bank board. Georgia Southern is going to be playing also Louisiana Monroe. Monroe's a 2.5 to a 3.0 point underdog. With your total on this game, 135.5, you do have a Georgia Southern team that ranks in the bottom 100 with regards to possessions per game, and they've done a relatively solid job of being able to generate turnovers. They do get right around 7.5 steals per game. Now, Georgia Southern, this is also a team that they've had a tough time of being able to retain the ball. They are turning the ball over right around 14.5 times per contest. Only shoot about 30% from 3 and 67.5% at the free-throw line, but the guy that I think is going to be able to help out this offense is Kamari Brown. Right around 9 points per game. Guy that shoots right around 35% from 3-point range at home. Has been able to do a better job will be able to take care of the ball. When it comes to this Louisiana Monroe team, they are a team that they've been in a little bit of a rut losing four straight games. Georgia Southern, they've lost six straight as well with Monroe. They've been giving up points of plenty. This is a bunch that they have given up now at least 71 points in four out of their last five games. To their credit, offense has been able to get to at least 70 in four out of their last five games as well with Andre 3000 Jones being able to do a solid job giving you 15 and a half points, four assists, stealing half per contest. Problem is for Monroe, they are a team that they just don't necessarily guard the arc very well. there team that they shoot right around 33.5% from three-point range, but I do think that defense is going to be a little bit of a bugaboo for the team. Prince as has not necessarily been the world's greatest guy with regards to being able to give you boards with right around five per contest, but has been able to do a little bit of a better job recently, and then you take a look at the rest of this Georgia Southern team, and they just do a good job of being able to generate swipes, like Elijah McAden being able to give you 12 points, right around two assists, stealing you know, half per contest. I think that that's going to be very important against a Louisiana Monroe team that I just don't think that they're going to be able to hold up as at the point of attack in this game. I do think though that you're going to see Georgia Southern be able to get their tempo in this game. You've got a Louisiana Monroe team that they're not necessarily doing a solid job down low either with Russell Harrison leading the team with 5.5 boards per game. He's able to give you 13 points per game. Shoots 37% from 3-point range as well. And then you do have a guy in Elijah Gonzalez. Good glue guy for Monroe. He's been able to give the team 7 points, 4 boards, 4.5 assists. Shoots right around 39.5% from 3-point range. But I do think that's a good old case of something he's got to give. I think that Georgia Southern is going to get there more slow, more controlled pace in this one as they're a team that they have failed to get to 70 points in each of their last five games. So I do think that you're going to be seeing a little bit of something in the middle in this game. Set this total at 134. I'm willing to dive under with Georgia Southern. I'm going to be willing to lay up to four with them. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it here with Georgia Southern. 871, 872 on the banking board. Louisiana is going to be in their off against Georgia State. Georgia State is a 6, a six and a half point favorite and your total is between 139 and 140 and when it comes to Georgia State, one I'm saying them is a 5.5 point favorite. It's been a Little bit of a sketchy team this year because typically they do a great job of being able to go bombs away from three-point range. This year, they're shooting as a collective just under 32% from distance. Now, you do have Corey Allen along with Kane Williams who are able to combine for 26 points right around 8 boards and 6.8 assists per game. Both of these guys give you 1.7 steals per game as well. And with Georgia State, the redeeming quality that you do have with this team is that they are able to generate 9 steals per contest, but you also take a look at Louisiana and I think that Jordan Brown along with you Akwuba are going to be able to control things down low. These are a of guys that are able to combine for about 17 rebounds per game. Both give you a little bit over a block per contest. When it comes to this Louisiana team, they rank right around 100th with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. So they've been able to do a relatively solid job there when it comes to this Georgia State team. They themselves have been able to bump up their defense. They're a team that they rank right around 80th with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. But when it comes to this Georgia team, they are a bunch of which I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit more down low with Elil and Sume. He's been able to give you right around 10 rebounds per game. That's going to be very beneficial, but at the same time, you do have a Louisiana team that they've really been able to bump up their tempo. This is a team that they do rank in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game. Louisiana not necessarily doing a great job, but we'll be able to shoot it at the free throw line at 69.5%, but it has been improving. You've had Kentrell Garnett be able to shoot 50% from three-point range, and then the X Factor for this team is a guy that's dealt with a little bit of injury. Greg Williams Jr. has been really seeing a little bit of a fallout with his minutes. Hasn't necessarily been very consistent for the scene, but when he's been on, he's been able to give you multiple assists, do a good job of being able to run the offense, and I do think that he's going to help out someone like a Kobe Julian, who's been able to give you 13 points, four boards, has been a mid 33 three-point shooter with Georgia State just having a lot of question marks with regards to their outside shooting, and Julian scoring 15-plus points in each other last seven games that should allow Louisiana to be able to hold at bay in this game. I did wind up setting this line at a five and a half with Georgia State, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. Also, with the tempo and thinking that there's going to be late game fouling. I do mind saying this sold at 145 and a half. Both of these offenses seem to be clicking a little bit more recently, so looking at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 873, 874 on the Bangor. board. Penn State is going to be playing us at Northwestern. Northwestern, a one and a half, 22 point underdog. Your this game, you're going to be finding it between a 127 and a 127 and a half. Penn State has been a vastly different team home to road. They don't necessarily have a deep rotation, so they've really slowed things down in the bottom 40 with regards to possessions per game, but you take a look at this Penn State team and they are allowing nine and a half points per one our possessions basis Fewer at home than they are on the road, so I do think that that is very important to take a look at. And with this Northwestern team, they've been able to play a little bit of better basketball recently. But they're a team that's very inconsistent as well with their home and road splits. They're giving up 9.9 points more on the road per 100 possessions than they are at home. Now you do have a guy in Boo Booey who's been able to give you five and a half assists per game, right around 14 points per contest for the Northwestern team. I do like his game, and then it cannot be overlooked what you've been able to get out of Pete Nance. Pete Nance is a guy that legitimately stands right around six foot ten. This guy has been very special for the team. He's able to shoot in the high 30s slash low 40s from three-point range, 15 points, six half boards, two and a half assists per game. So he has been absolutely magnificent and on the road. Beat Nance is shooting 48% from three-point range, but Jalen Pickett has been able to pick his spots with Penn State. 13 points, four boards, four assists, steal per contest. Not necessarily shooting it great from three-point range, but at the same time, he is a guy that has been able to do a great job of just being able to give this team production recently. Double figures in each out of the last six games have one turnover or fewer in four of the last five games games as well. you have got John Rar who's been able to give you 10.5 points, 9.8 rebounds per game sessions along Seth Lundy. They could to be able to give you about 24 points per game with sessions. He's able to shoot 42% from three-point range. Penn State shoots right around 73% of the free throw Northwestern. They do a good job of not turning the ball over. They're a team that they turn the ball over 9.7 times per contest top 15 in all of college basketball. They have a collective shoot 34.5% from three-point range. Guys like Chase Odige along with Ryan Young. have done a solid job being able to provide about four and a half rebounds a piece. Odige has been able to give you 10.5 points Per game, but outside of Nance and Boo Booey, if you have very inconsistent three point shooting with this Northwestern team, I do think that that's going to hurt them a little bit. Now, I do want to say my total at a 128. Northwestern is a team that, because they are so efficient, they should be able to get lots of clean possessions, clean looks at the bucket. I do think that late game Felling is going to be able to push his total over, but with Penn State, I want to setting them as a two point favorite at one half slash two. That is going to be my max, but I'm willing to lay the deuce with Penn State at home. So, I want to lay to two with Penn State and looking at the over. 875, 876 on the main board. Monmouth is going to be playing us the St. Peter's. Peacocks are a four-point underdog. Your turn-on this and we're between 130 and a half and 131 and a half. And with the St. Peter's team, I do wind up saying them as a four-point underdog, so it's a case in which I'm going to be in a little bit more wait-and-see mode. At four, I would rather lay it with Monmouth rather than take it with St. Peter's on. The big reason why is because of free-throw shooting. You've got a Monmouth team that ranks in the top 30 in all of college basketball in terms of free-throw shooting percentage. They shoot as collective a little bit over 75%, and then you've got a St. Peter's team that they've been able to improve with their free-throw shooting percentage, but they still clock in right around 69% now with St. Peter's. They do shoot as a collective 36.5% from 3 fire range. Doug Eager, 9 points is able to shoot about 44% from distance. He, along with Darryl Banks the 3rd, shoot between 88 and 89% the charity stripe with Banks. Top scorer for the team, 11 points per game. KCU and Defu 2.7 blocks, 10 points, 6 boards per game, but when it comes to what you're able to get out of guys like Matthew Lee, that has been a little bit more hit or miss. Lee has been missing for a little bit of time this year due to injury so that's been an issue single-leaders in 4 of the team's last 5 games. They take look at bomb, Then now they've got Shafar Reynolds back to the fold. He along George Papas out there in the backcourt. Combined to be able to give you 29.5 points, 5.5 assists per game. Neither of these guys necessarily prolific from three-part range, but they both shoot above 84.5%. And at the free line, you've got Wes Miller's brother, Walker Miller, coming in from UNC, doing a great job down low for the team as well. How about 15 points? He's able to give you half boards per game. Marcus McClary, 9 points, 4.5 boards. it has been a relatively well-rounded player for the team, and I do think that Nikhil Ruti, and what he's able to do down low is big for the team. He only gives you 3.3 3 points per game, but he's been hauling in there right around 8 or so rebounds per game. You take a look at it, and this is a man that has hauled in at least 6 rebounds in every one of the team's games ever since January 20th, so that's 9 in total. A combined 32 boards and 5 blocks in the team's last two games. Only 2 points to show in those games, but Monmouth, after they were able to cover each other first 11 games of the season, they've experienced a little bit of a fall-off ever since then. They've been 8-8 eight and eight against the spread. St. Peter's is a team that they have been playing a little bit more lax on defense recently, giving up at least 70 points into two out of their last three games. I do think that they are going to be able to get back to a little bit more of their basics in this game. I did wind up setting this total at a 132, so it is a spot in which I think that we are going to see a little bit more of it over because you do have a Mammoth team that they themselves have been a little bit up and down with regards to their offense. I do think that late game falling is going to be coming into play. So, one late to four here with Mammoth, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over as we move on. To 877, 878 on the banking board. you got Iona, and they're going to be playing us to Canisius. Canisius is finding themselves as a sizable underdog here, 15-15 to 15 in that points. 143.5 to 144 is your total, and with Iona, I wound up saying them as a 14-point favorite. I think that they should be able to win this game quite handily. I do think that the numbers have gotten a little bit too high. With Iona, this is a team that they do a great job of being able to get to the free throw line. They rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to free throws attempted per game, and this is a team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. It's not necessarily what I would call a dominant defense, but 62nd in the country with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis at, at home. 10.1 points, fewer per 100 under give it up that on the road. But you do take a look at the Skinesha's bunch and you do have a couple pieces that should be able to keep them live. You've got Armand Harid who's been able to give you eleven and a half points per game. It's a Kinesia team that they don't necessarily shoot it well from three. Right around 31%, they shoot 69% of the charity right, but they don't beat themselves. Only about twelve turnovers per contest. You've been able to get Yako Fritz going with right around seven and a half points, five and a half boards a guy that's saying six foot down and is able pops some threes. Malik Green dealing with his injury has been a little bit rough for this team, but with Malik Green, he's been able to find it a little bit more recently. It combined 31 points in the last two games. He was averaging right around 13 and a half points prior to the turn of the new year. Come the new year, he wound up being banged up and did not look like himself. Looks like he's starting to get back to that form. And then with Iona, you do have Tyson Jolly. It's been very Jolly at being able to put in their 14 and a half points, five boards, shoot 38 percent from three inch. With Iona, though, like I mentioned, it's just one of those cases in which they don't necessarily do one thing great. They shoot 33 and percent from three, 70 percent free fly. They turn the ball over 12 and a half times per game. Quince loves this Dylan Van Eyck, both saying right around 6'8", 6'9". They both combined to shoot about 35% for three. Elijah Joyner, three assists a one and a half turnovers per game with 11 and a half points per game and then Nellie Jr. Joseph. Good shot blocker. Iona as a collective, they get six blocks per game. He gives you two of them, 13 points, eight boards, but I think we've went up a little bit too lofty with this one, Iona. They do rank in the top 75 with guards possessions per game. Canisius, they're looking to gun it as well and they're just not in a very efficient defense. So I did mind setting the total at 144. 144 is my max on the over, but I am willing to take this total over. And when it comes to the spot. won't we'll take the points with Canisius. 879, 880 on the betting board. You've got yourself Maris, and Maris is going to be playing us two-man hand. Manan's 5.5 uh, to a six-point dog. Draw game in 74 team, 140 and 141. With this Maris bunch, I wound up settling at a 5.5 on them, so here at 6, I'm going to be looking to take the points with Manan. Manan has been able to play two-thirds of their games to the over, by the way. They've been one of the best teams with this respect, and a bigger reason why is because Manan has been playing some relatively close games, and they're a team that they shoot 74.5% at the free-throw line. Jose Perez has been terrific for this team, Nineteen and a half points, 4.8 assists. He's not a guy that's going to light it up for three, but that's why you've got Ant Nelson. Shooting 40% per distance, right around 11 points per game. Now, Nelson and Perez do turn the ball over seven times per game. That is a big bugaboo for a Manning team that they turn the ball over 14 and a half times per contest, but they do generate seven steals per game as well. Sabo Diallo, coupled with Samir Stewart, have been able to do a solid job there. Stewart has been out of the fold recently, but Diallo, six points, right around four and a half rebounds, and that steal per contest. Josh Roberts has really been able to go into takeover mode down low, nine and a half points. 6.5 rebounds per game, but with Roberts, he's given you at least 11 boards in 4 of the team's last 5 games. He's had double figures in each of the last 5, so he has really been able to up his game, and he's going up against a Barrett's team that you've got one guy that's able to give you at least 4.9 rebounds per game, and that is Matt Hermesy. He is the only guy on this team that gives you at least 4.9 boards per game, so that's a little bit of an issue. You do have Joe Ituka, who's been able to give you fifteen half points per game, shooting 48.5% from 3-point range, and then Ricardo Wright shoots 40% from the outside with 14 points per game, but very much a team full of Isolation. They don't necessarily generate a lot of seals. Maris, they only dish out nine and a half assists per game. They're relatively consistent with taking care of the ball. Right around 12 and a half turnovers per game. Simke Le Calais, so they will give you nine and a half points per game. But I mean, it really is a whole bunch of dudes after Ituka along with Wright. You really have no flow with regards to this offense. That should be able to keep this. Manhattan team very much in play in this one. I did wind up setting this total at 135.5 just because it is a Maris team that they don't necessarily play up-tempo. They just play a very strange style in general. You do have a Manhattan team that has been looking to go a little bit more up-tempo, so you do have that aspect going along with it, but I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a hodgepodge game out of both of these teams. And Maris is in the top 125 with the guys' points a lot on a per-possession basis, so we'll wind up setting my total at 135.5 so take it 6 here with Manhattan to go along with the under as we go to 881, 882 on the betting board. Ryder is going to be playing us to Niagara. Niagara is finding themselves a one to one at point underdog and your tolerance game is one thirty one and F. And when it comes to Ryder it's been an intriguing bunch that has been able to get on a little bit of a run, and I think that they're going to be able to stay on this run. I wound up saying them as a 2.5 point favorite with Ryder. This is a team that they've been able to reel off wins in five out of their last seven games. You've got a pair of guys in Domencio Vaughn along Dwight Murray Jr. that have really been spearheading this offense. Both of these guys give you right around 12 and a half points per game. They combine to be able to give you 14 boards. Murray has been able to give you 4.5 assists per game. Neither guy lights it up from three point range. Both Ryder, each have your top four scores, shoot at least 75.5%. At the free line, they only turn the ball over 11.8 times per game. They are able to jump right around 7 steals per contest. You've got Ajiri Aguamo-Johnson giving you six half rebounds to be able to sure things up down low. And then Mervin James, the transfer from North Alabama. So we would do a solid job. Not necessarily a great 3-point shooter, but a guy that has been able to give you right around 11 points per game. You take a look at him recently and he's been able to give you double figures in each out of the last 5 games. Not a guy that turns ball over up a lot, so good qualities there. And then you take a look at Niagara. This is a team that they have never necessarily been great on the glass. They've been a little bit better this year with Sam Oreo and Jordan Citrin being able to combine for 18 points, 12 and a half rebounds per game. And Citrin, they shoot 36 percent per three. Niagara's hole, they shoot 35% from distance. Marcus Salmon, he's been a statue sufferer shooting 82% of The charity stripe. 37.5% per three. 17.5 points, 4.5 boards per game. And then Noah Thomason, he's been able to come on as a little bit more of a facilitator for this team. 3.5 assists per game, but has been able to allow out at least three assists in each of the team's last five games. Some plus points in four of those contests as well. But you do take a look at this Rider team and they've been able to do a nice job of being able to cut off the three-point arc. That is really the lifeblood of this Niagara team. Niagara, they rank in the bottom 45 with regards possessions per game, so they're looking to play very slow. They're looking to play very controlled, but with Niagara as well, they rank right around 205th in the country with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think that that's going to be an issue against a Rider team that they've now gotten into the top 150 with that aspect as well. When it comes to Niagara, they do shoot about 73.5% percent free line, but I do think that Ryder could be able to get the job done in this spot. I do think that Rider, after losing two out of their last three games in overtime and losing a game by a deuce on the road against Monmouth, is going to be able to bust through, get the W in this one. I'm going to lay up to 2.5 here with Ryder, and when it comes to the total, I didn't mind saying my total at a one thirty two and a half. 2.5, I think that you get a relatively slow game, but I think we've gone down a little bit too low here, so looking we'll at the over, and I'm going to be looking at Ryder. 883, 884 on the bang board. St. Louis is going to be in the road face off against Richmond. The itchy bitsy fighters are finding themselves 2.5 to 3-point favorites in your total game, in between 143.5 and 144.5. St. Louis got off to a really nice start to the year, but you've noticed that things have been really falling back for them. It's been in case in which your turnovers have eaten them a Alive. And as a result, I do mind saying Richmond as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay here. When it comes to this Richmond team, you've got to love what you've been able to get out of Tyler Burton along Grant Golden. Both of these guys standing at least six foot eight, And they've been able to combine for about 32 points, 13.5 rebounds per game. You've got Burton shooting 30 and a half percent from three-point range. Golden, despite being six foot ten, rolls out three assists per game. And then Jacob Gilliard, 12.5 points, six assists. And... Three steals per game. That is the most in all of college basketball for a career, is what he has. So, I mean, he has been absolutely amazing with that regard. Now, you need guys like Nate Kao, Nick KO, Nick Scherad to be able to step up. They were thought to be double-figure scorers, have not been able to live up to that this year, although Andre Gustafson is shooting 42% from three-point range. Richmond does a good job of being able to take care of the ball. 10 turnovers per game, one of the best marks in all of college basketball, St. Louis. They do generate right around seven steals per game with Yuri Collins giving you two of those. He's been able to give the team 11.5 points, shot 38.5% for three, and his eight assists per game leads all of college basketball. But he also turns the ball over four times per game. In those games against St. Bonaventure, he absolutely torpedoed this team. Three plus turnovers. And now five out of the last six games. That's been a little bit of an issue. You've got Martin Listen along with Fred Thatch Jr. Uh, combined for about 15 and a half points per game. These guys combined for about nine boards. And Thatch to be able to shoot 40% from three-point range. gibson Gibberson shoots 40% from three, 84% percent free And For St. Louis, they do shoot 37.5% from distance, 77% at the charity stripe. They've looked to bump up their tempo a little bit more. Richmond's certainly not necessarily the hallmark of defensive prowess by any stretch of the imagination, but they've been a little bit better recently. And for St. Louis, this is a team that, after they started out the year very solid on defense, things are starting to fall back a little bit more for them. In their last three games, they've given up more than a full point on a per possession basis, more than a full point on each possession, I should say. So, I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue against the Richmond team that they play relatively slowly, but they are quite efficient. I do mind saying Richmond as a result, as a four-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay it here. With Richmond playing at such a slow tempo, I do think that are going to get a little bit of a lower scoring game, said the total 142, so going to be diving under as well. 885-886 on the betting board. You've got yourself Appalachian State hitting the road face face-off against Arkansas State. Arkansas State is finding themselves between a 1-and-a-half and a and a 2 point favorite. In your game, saying anywhere team 131 and 132-and-a-half, so Arkansas State is 4.5 point favorite. I think that Norshed Omier is going to be able to really take over this game. A guy that down low has been able to give you nearly 2 blocks, 11.5 rebounds and right in the neighborhood of 16-17 to 17 points per game. He's been absolutely terrific. You've got the transfer from Arkansas in Desi Sills, who's been able to do a good job but be able to help out this offense as well. A guy that has been able to give you right around 13 points per contest and helps out Caleb Fields, the Bain for general of this team as Fields. long only giving you 7.5 points per contest but has not need to score a lot. He's able to give you 4.5 assists. He chips in there 1.2 steals per game and for that matter. Each of your top four scorers, Sills, Omier, Fields, along with Marcus Eaton, who gives you half points per game. All these guys give you at least a steal per contest. And then you take a look at the flip side for this Appalachian State team. Justin Forrest, after he's been always a double-figure scorer for the team, has just been terrible this year. He's giving you nine points per game. He's shooting 25% from three-point range, and it's been brutal. He's scored in double figures in the last two games, but I mean, even with the two-plus turnovers per game, it's not like he's contributing lots for the team. So, that means that Adrian Delf has had to be the offense points, 5.5 boards, seal per game, shoots 39% per 3 for a state team that only shoots about 32.5% per distance, 65% free line. Now, they only turn the ball over 10 times per game. That's relatively solid. You do have Donovan Gregory, who's been able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. You get right around 6 boards per game of James Lewis Jr. With Gregory, he's able to chip in their 10.5 points per game as well, but you just don't have a lot of offense when it comes to this Appalachian State team. Now, with Appalachian State, they've been able to do a relatively solid job on defense as well. And this is an Arkansas State team that they do wind up giving up the arc quite a bit, but they are able to force of Seals, which is really able to help them out with regards to Appalachian State. is a team that they rank 136th in the country with the guards points allowed on a per-possession basis. Arkansas State, they're thirty seven, so they're right there as well. I do think that Arkansas State wins from within. I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done. Appalachian State is a team that ranks in the bottom 50 with the yards possessions per game, so I do think that things are going to be slowed down. Set this total at a 130 and a half. I'm diving under with Arkansas State. Want to delay the one and a half to two-year. will to delay up to four and a half with them. 887, 888 is the DK Nation pick, yes. You've got Harvard. They're going to be hitting the road face off against Princeton. Princeton is an 8.5 point favorite in your Toronto game. And we're doing 141.5 and 142.5. Not necessarily too many qualms with the side. I wound up saying my line at 8.5. I did see an early opener of 7.5. If we wind up getting that once again, I'll certainly be one well delayed as I'm doing this right now. One flashing to 8. So we're going to be most likely riding with Princeton unless if we wind up seeing a line move here. So we're going to be riding with 8 or less with them. But with that said, what I'm taking a look at is the total. And I'm taking a look at the over because you've got a Princeton team that has scored at least 69 points in 20 20- 22 straight games. They're a team that they rank 14th of the country with regards guards' points scored on a per-possession basis. They're in the top 20 with regards to 3-point shooting percentage as well. And they're going against a Harvard team that, in road games, they're allowing opponents to be able to shoot 38.1% from 3-point range. They're in the bottom 75 with regards to opponents 3-point shooting percentage. Yeah, overall, Harvard right around 100th with regards guards points allowed on a per-possession basis. Princeton not necessarily so great on defense as they rank right around 205th with regards guards' points allowed on a per-possession basis. But when it comes to this Harvard team, they've been able to find a little bit more offense because Chris Leblum has been out for 10 games was a guy that was giving you 16 points on boards per game, but you do have Noah Kirkwood just to complete an artist that itself so for 18 points, 5.5 boards. He's able to give you three assists per game. Guy that's shooting about 34% from three-point range. Game travels home to road as well. You've been able to get more out of some of these other ancillary pieces as well. Lucas Sakota, 11 and a half points per game. He shoots 38 and a half percent per three. You've got right around 34 percent three-point shooting overall out of this Harvard team. Harvard has slowed down ever since the injury to Ledlum. prior to them going down. They were right around 40th slash 45th with regards to possessions per game. Now they're clocking in more like 95th, 100th, but you do take a look at this Princeton team, and darn near everyone is able to shoot it from three-point range. Aside from Tucson, Wauman, who's been able to give you 15 and a half points, 6 and a half boards, 5 assists, stealing and app contest, so he's been terrific, but you take a look Look at it. Ethan Wright, Jalen Llewellyn, Ryan Langboard, all these guys combined to shoot about 39% from three-point range. These three guys have combined to be able to give you 41 points per game. Wright is able to give you 7.5 boards per game. Llewellyn gives you 2.5 assists per game as well. Dan Freiberg is able to shoot 39% from three-point range. It's been absolutely amazing. Now with Princeton, they do only shoot 65.5% at the free-throw line, but they only turn the ball over 10.5 times per game as well. They do an absolutely terrific job over there. I do think that Harvard is going to be a little bit up against it. It's been a team that ever since they've had the loss of their main man in Ludlum, it has been a little bit have tough sledding for them, so I am willing to lay the 8 that I'm seeing right now with Princeton. Did what I'm saying, my total at 146 half. the DK Nation pick is officially going to be the over, and I'm willing to lay it here with Princeton as well. 889, 890 on the board. Little Rock is going to be playing us to Coast Carolina. The Chanticleers are finding themselves in between 6.5 and 7.5 point favorites, and your tallest game is 137.5 with Coast Carolina. I set them as a 7.5 point favorite, so here at 6.5, I'm going to be willing to lay it. With Coast Carolina, you've got Issa Mustafa, who's going to be able to control things down, though. A guy that's been able to give you 9.5 bounds per game. He chips in there right around 13 points per contest. And then you take a look at the backcourt. You've got Rudy Williams coupled with Vince Cole. Both of these guys have been able to shoot it very well from three-point range. They combined to be able to give you 29 and a half points, 7.5 boards per game. Williams chips in there, 3.5 assists per game. But both guys combined to give you 2.7 steals per game. You've got both of these guys shooting north of 40% from three-point range. Coastal as a collective. They shoot 36% from the outside. You've been able to have Brema Madiba be able to give you 5.5 assists per game as well. And then when it comes to Little Rock, it's just been a lot of mixing and matching. I Isaiah Palermo has really been the lone guy that has not gotten hurt for this team. He's been able to give you 11.5 points per game, shooting about 30% from three-point range. Six-foot-ten combo player Nikolai Medic has been able to give the team 14 points per game, but problem is he's been out for like 13 games this year. You've been dealing with some injuries to Marsej Lusic. DeAntoni Gordon has been missing for much of the season as well. I mean, it's just been a war of attrition. You've been looking to someone like a Jovan Stulic who winds coming in from Serbia. He's been able to give you 7.5 points per game. He's really one the lone men standing. He's been able to give you double figures in three out of Last four games, and to his credit, at home has been able to shoot right around 48% from three-point range, so has been rock solid there. But you do have just a Little Rock team, and in general, has been bludgeon. They don't necessarily give you a lot of rebounding with Medich being out of the fold as well. I do think the Coastal Carolina should be able to control this game. You've got Jared Green, who's been dealing with a little bit of an ailment. He's back. He's able to give you seven and a half points per game, able to shoot in the mid 30s from three-point range. So Coastal Carolina, by far, the deeper team in this spot. I'm willing to lay up to seven and a half here with Coast of Carolina. So I'm going to be laying the points. So, that the solo 137 and half as well going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move, but with Arkansas Little Rock being just as poor as they are on defense, with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, 340th, I would rather take this over rather than an under at this number. So 137.5 or less, looking at the over, I'm willing to lay up to 7.5 here with Coastal. 891, 892 on the main board. South Alabama is going to be playing us to UT Arlington. Mavericks are an 8 to 8.5 point underdog with your tallest game, and between 131.5 and 132.5, I wound up setting my line at an 8. So here at 8.5, I'm going to be willing to take the points with UT Arlington. Now with UT. Arlington, you don't necessarily have anyone that's able to do a terrific job down low for the team. You don't have a single guy that's giving you five plus rebounds per game. But Kodorichi, Obiono, Ihogo, hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. Oh, he's a tough one. He's able to give you two and a half blocks per contest. He's able to give you right around four and a half boards per game as well. And then I think it's going to be very key for the team is the fact that David Azor, who wound up starting out the first few months of the season, going into mid January, was shooting about 25% from three point range. He's really been able to heat it up from three point range. This is a man that has been able to give you 19 and a half points per game. A guy that overall for the year is shooting right around 31.5% from three, but on the road, shoots 38.5% from distance, so he's been able to score go score sure there. 20 plus points in four of the last five games. More importantly, approximately one turnover in each of the last four games as well. This is a South Alabama team that, I mean, they're a solid team, but they don't necessarily do one thing great. They play at a middle tempo. They turn the ball over right around 12.5 times per game. They're a team that they actually do rank 53rd in the country with regards to defensive efficiency. I will give them a little bit of flowers there, but I mean, you don't necessarily have a dominant rebounder for this team, Javon Franklin 11 points, 7.5 rebounds per game, that's all but nobody else gives you more than 4 boards per game You got K.O. Gonsalves shooting 36% from threes, able to give you 7.5 points per game T.J. Chandler, Charles Manning, they both give you between 15.5 and 16 points per contest, they to give you 6 assists per game, and to their credit, each other their top 4 scores for South Alabama do give you a steal per game, but they shoot 70% percent the free line, 33% from distance it's a UT Arlington team that I did have higher expectations for, and they have been able to do a good job of being able to slow games down recently. They've done a better job on defense giving up 70 points of fear in each other the last three games. Prior to that, they did give up fewer than 70 points in regulation with the game one up going to overtime, so they've been able to put the clamps down a little bit more there. This is a spot in which I'm willing to take the 8.5 here with UT Arlington. When it comes to total, I did want up setting it at of 135 with the way that you've been able to have David Azor be able to shoot from three-point range. It is a South Alabama team that they themselves have been a little bit up and down with their offense, but they've scored 70-plus points in now four out of their last five games, so I do think that you're going to get little bit of an offensive outburst here. I'm willing to take the over, and I'm willing to take the points here with the Mavericks. 893, 894 on the betting board. Texas 8, it's road right face off against Troy. Troy's one and a half point underdog with your total on this game. 128 and a half. Got a little bit of a flipper rooney here, as I did when i saying. Troy as a two point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take a shot on them on the money line. It is a Texas State team that by and large has been relatively solid. It's not like it's a terrible team by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that Troy is going to be able to do a good job of be able to win from within. When it comes to Texas State, you've really got one main rebounder for the team, and that'd be Isaiah Small. Now, he's been able to come up big for the team, being able to give you seven boards, 11 points per game. The guy that has a little bit of versatility shoots right around 29% per three. To the credit of Texas State, they do shoot 76% at the free-throw line, thirty seven percent per three, but they do play at a bottom 50 pace with regards to possessions per game. They're a team that, with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, they've been a little bit less than sharp. Their defense, it is one that does falter a little bit more on the road, giving up 10.6 points more per 100 on the road than they do at home, so that is a little bit of an issue. And Troy has actually been a very dominant defense. They're in the top 65 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. They do a good job of being able to shut down the 3-point arc Now Shelby Adams for the Texas State team. Gives you 9.5 points. Shoots 48 and a half percent from 3. Caleb Asbury Mason Arrow. They're able to combine for 25 points. These two guys both shoot at least 83% of the free line combined to be able to shoot about 38.5% from 3. But when it comes to the Troy team, I do like what you're able to get out of, Zay Williams, Salmo, guy that's been able to give you seven fours, eight 8.5 points per game, has actually been able to shoot 43% from 3. The big thing for Troy is been. They turn the ball over 15 and a half times per game. Texas State relatively solid at being able to generate swipes, but so is this Troy team that's able to give you right around 8.2 seals per game. You've had Duke Miles out of the fold for a little bit of the season, but he's back. Nine points, three assists, two and a half seals per game. So he's been able to do a solid job there. And then you've got the other Duke and Duke Dean, who's been able to do a good job being able to give you nine and a half points per game. A guy that only shoots right around 29% from three-point range in his home games, but has been able to up his scoring a little bit more, double figures in four out of the last six games. I feel Odigi has been able to give you six and a half rebounds per game. As well, very well-rounded Troy team in which a hole is greater than the sum of its parts. I think it's going to allow them to be able to get the job done in this spot. You do have a Troy team that they rank more around 100th with regards to possessions per game. They're playing a little bit more up tempo. You do have a Texas State team that's relatively solid at the free throw line. Troy they can sometimes have their falters there at right around 71.5 percent, but I do think that they'll get it done in a tight game set. So this sold at on 130. I'm going to go over and taking Troy as a money line underdog 8.95, 8.96 on the banking board. Iowa hits the road face off against Nebraska. The Cornhuskers are between 11 and half point. Underdogs. this game is between 161 and 161 and a half. My handicap was anything of single digits. I'd be willing to lay it with Iowa at double digits. I'm going to be taking a shot here on Nebraska. Now it is a poopy Nebraska team. This is one in which it's what we like to call a plug and play. That means plug your nose and play it but with that said with Nebraska you do have a guy in Bryce McGowan so I think he's gonna be able to have a solid game in this one. A guy that has been able to give you sixteen and a half points, five and a half boards, doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three. Nebraska is a collective they shoot thirty point six percent from three fire engine you'll notice with Nebraska they do do a better job of be able to bottle things up a little bit more at home than on the road. They do reduce their possessions by right around 3 or 4 per contest. It is a Nebraska team that with regards to their friendly confines, they are giving up right around 12.7 points fewer per 100 possessions at home than on the road as well. And this is an Iowa team that they don't necessarily travel the world's greatest. Iowa has been terrific with regards to their offense. top down with regards points scored on a per possession basis, but on the road they're giving up 10.3 points more per 100 on the road than at home. You do have Jordan Bohannon who's been able to do a terrific Job for this Iowa team, double figure scores, able to shoot about 40% from three point range. We all know what they're able to get. Other uh, main headline score in Keegan Murray as well. Keegan Murray has been able to give you darn near two blocks per contest. He's been able to give you eight rebounds, right around 23 and a half points per game. So he has been the man there. Philip Perbatch is able to give you six rebounds per game as well. But then you got Derek Walker who for Nebraska has been able to give you right around six rebounds per game. Alonzo Verge has been turning the ball over quite a bit, three and a half times for contest. But he's been a little bit more buttoned down at home. At home, he turns the ball over more like three point three times. For Contest. He is a guy that has been able to give you a little bit more scoring recently as well. This is a guy in Alonzo Virtue who has been a little bit hit or miss, but has been able to give you 14 plus points in three out of the last four contests. And bigger than that, he's been able to cut down on the turnovers a little bit more. He's been able to give you three turnovers or fewer in seven out of the last nine games. So that should be able to keep Nebraska alive in this one coupled with the fact that Trey McGowan's wound up missing much of the early part of the season. He's back. He hasn't necessarily been as dynamic of a scorer as you'd like him to be, but has been able to give the team four plus rebounds in three out of the last four games. Has been able do all the combined ten assists in the last four contests as well, so he's able to leave a little bit of an imprint. Last time these two teams wound up playing, you wound up getting a very high scoring game. That was actually just a few weeks ago. It was a case of which Nebraska wound up losing by kind of ninety-eight to seventy-five at Carver Hawkeye Arena on the thirteenth. I do think that you're going to get another high scoring game. I think that's going to be a little bit more held down, but semi total at one sixty-three. I'm looking at the over, and with Nebraska, I do think that the flipping venue is going to allow them to be able to stay live in this one. I'm willing to take double digits with them and wrap things up with a. 97, 898 on the betting board. San Diego State is going to be playing us the San Jose State. San Jose State, anywhere between a 21.5 and a 22.5 point underdog. this game is 125. San Diego State, I feel like, should be a lofty favorite. I set them at 21. Now that we've gotten to 22 plus, I think that we've gotten up just a little bit too higher because you do have a San Jose State team that is able to do a solid job. Will be able to shoot threes. Omari Moore has been Mister do it all for this team. 13 points, 5.5 boards, 5 assists, a steal, and block per contest. Well, shooting 44.5% from 3, each of your top three scores for the San Jose State team are able to shoot 40 plus percent from three-point range. You've been able to get right around nine points per game out of Trey Anderson. Also get nine points per contest out of Myron Amy Jr. Amy Jr. is a guy that has been really a designated shooter not much else. Anderson is able to give you right around four and a half boards per game. You do also have back and fold a guy that comes in from Iowa State in Abrima Diallo before going down with an injury. This guy was absolutely dynamic for the San Jose State team. He was averaging right around eight boards per game. His first game back was the team's most recent game. against against New Mexico, had 14 points, 5 boards in 18 minutes. So, that should help out San Jose State a little bit more down low. Now, San Diego State, this is a team that they've got Matt Bradley and Ever since the beginning of the month of December, he's been shooting right around 44% for 3-par range overall for the year, 41.5% for distance, 17 points, 5 boards per game, but you don't have anyone outside of him that gives you more than 8 points per game. Now, you've got four different guys who give you between 7.4 and 7.8 points per game, so you've got a lot of depth there. Trey Pulliam has been able to do that. He's been able to give you a couple assists. Keyshawn Johnson, I think, is an interesting little Swiss Army knife. He's able to give you five boards. He's able to chip in there just under a seal per contest and for that matter San Diego State, they do generate eight seals per game. This is a team that has been nothing short of supreme on defense. With regards to points allowed on a per possession basis San Diego State, they are clocking in number one in all of college basketball San Jose State, they do play at a bottom 40 tempo so this is not a team that's looking to go out there and they're looking to gun it Now San Jose State, also the defense 345th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis and when they do wind up hitting the road, this is a team that they have really been giving it up as they rank in the bottom 5 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis in their true road games about 160 points per 100 possessions but I do think that with San Diego State having their deficiencies on offense they only shoot right around 69% the free throw line mid 30s from 3 point range with guys outside of Matt Bradley not doing a whole lot I do think that they're going to be a hold in there Nathan Mensa should be able to win the battle down low for San Diego State given this team right around 7 boards per game but I do think that Diallo coming back for San Jose State will be able to keep them live. They wind up saying my total at a 123. I do think that San Diego State is really going to do a solid job against the San Jose State team that I mentioned. They're in the bottom 35 with regards to possessions per game, so I'm looking at the under. And San Diego State, go ahead and make them a 21-point favorite, so take a 22-plus here with the Spartans, and that will wrap things up. For the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Soup, now part of the Beeson Family podcast, big thanks to Jason Radowitz over there. Our bookmaker review, covers, list goes on and on, does a wide variety of things, and join me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from the Sign podcast, Coast to Coast you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and, and If you if you got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you've heard this podcast, one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is by Twitter timeline at JarenSquarty1. Keep in mind, letters am. Amy does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're both firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. And I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.